Whoa! Yo. Oh, oh there he is. Straight baby. Hey, Superstar, what's up with you, big dog? Good to see you, bro. What's up, yes, boss, man? Good to see you again. Respect. Yes, sir. How y'all? Y'all good? Oh, boy. What's the word? You tell Not us, much, bro. man. We're glad to Apologies have you, bro. Apologies for being late, man. It's all good. You yes, can sir. fight, bro. A little bit. You can fight? <laughs> <laughs> hey, don't be late no more. <laughs> well, listen, wait, I ain't fighting no more for AT. I'm done. I've retired. That's how I feel at 44, you know, when you be working out and stuff and you wake up in the morning and shit be cracking. You didn't know be cracking. You're like, man, I ain't got time for that, man. <laughs> That's true. No, I, I asked. I jumped out there and I asked only because you, you, you speak your mind. And that Birdman interview, I thought you was gonna have to <laughs> gonna put them claws on you, bro. I'm that. You know what's so crazy? I'm never worried about stuff like that because it's because it because it is. Right. It's like it's cameras everywhere. If you right. come in there on that type of time, especially if you're a multimillionaire like Birdman, I don't think you really want to do that. Right. Now I'm not saying the people he went wouldn't. Right. You know, but for it's sure. like you know you, you you keep things in place for stuff like for that. Sure, it's not like we up there defenseless. But yeah. I would I, I, I would rather not even. Take it there with somebody like Birdman. I respect right. Birdman. Like that's a sure. brother from the South who, you know, built a billion-dollar business. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's just that sometimes in this in this field of work, you know, you critique people and you critique things because it's publicly out there, and you know, they don't always take too time kindly to it. I mean, that's 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 part of the job. Hold up, limitless, take a semi cap in it. I thought they hear the witness it. Get my people feeling militant. Way I'm feeling, get me up. On the mission, get me up. Knowing me, I got the key. On the vision, I can trust. Trust. Limitless. Nigga, send me cap in it. I thought they hear the witness it. Get my people feeling militant. Way I'm feeling, get me up. On the mission, get me up. We've already started talking. I mean, welcome to the pivot. I mean, this is something right. we've kind of talked about for a long time. So, you know, we're excited to finally get it to happen. You know, for all our subscribers, we appreciate you guys. Continue to subscribe, like, uh, like we always say, man, like Freddie T says, man, anybody can podcast. Not everybody can pivot. Uh, DraftKings, um, happy that our sponsors, we appreciate you. Channing, Frederick, I'm Ryan. Yeah. And that's all that, I guess, that matters. And, you know, let's get into it, man. How does Leonard McKelvey, right, from South Carolina, mm -hmm. become Charlemagne the God? Because of God, you know, um, coming from the, the 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 extremes I come from, being raised on a dirt road in Monk's Corner, South Carolina, like growing up in that town, the town, the population was like 7,000. And, you know, for me, I didn't have anybody that's in the field that I'm in now to look to, you know, for inspiration. Like, you know, you would go on Wikipedia back at, well, I don't even know if it was Wikipedia back then, but you would look online and you would see things like, yo, who's from South Carolina? And it'd be like, you know, James Brown, Joe Frazier, Vanna White, Andy Dick, and I'm like, well, damn, you know, none of them, you know, do do what it is I, I think I want to do. But then we have people like, um, y'all might know them, the Two Live Stools, Ryan yeah, Stewart yeah. and Doug Stewart. Like, you know, they older than me, but they from Monk's Corner. So when I used to see them on, you know, ESPN, I was like, damn, you know, it gave me a lot of inspiration to do what I do. I seen somebody like a, a brother named DJ B Lord, you know, I, just him being on Rap City back in the day. And Tigger asked him, Tigger was like, yo, where you from? North Carolina, right? And he was like, nah, South Carolina. So for me, I was like. Damn, you know, maybe we can, you know, transcend our circumstances and, and, and come out of this small town. And like radio just saved my life because I used to want to rap. Because, you know, when you look on television and you see people that look like you that are successful, they're usually in sports or they're in, you know, entertainment. You know, for us, it was the rap world. So I decided, man, I think I want to I want to start rapping. And so I met this guy in a recording studio named Willie Will and he used to do radio 
uh, on Z92 Jams, the local station in Charleston, South Carolina. And I just asked him. I was just like, yo, how'd you get in the radio? And he was like, yo, I went down there and I got an internship. And I'm like, is that easy? And he was like, yeah. Now, mind you, this is 1998, you know, Charleston, South Carolina. So you didn't have to be in school or anything like that. So I went down there and just filled out the internship papers. And that's how I started. Yeah. And it's just like, you know, the rest, the rest is, I guess, history. Yeah, yeah. And then, then when you read about it, and you got in, you got in some trouble. You got arrested for possession. What is a distribution? Were you yeah, like, were you, first, were you, first, were you Frank first. Lucas, or you were just a dumb no. kid? Hell you know no. what I'm saying? Nah, I was, I was a seven gram guy. I started off with what we used to call a hundred dollar slab. You know what I'm saying? So you spend fifty dollars, and you know you get uh, you posted, you spend fifty dollars, and you get like a hundred dollars worth of you know, crackback. So that's like five rocks, you know, 20s. You know, the most I ever did was seven grams, you know, what we used to call a quarter spoon. That's when you spend $250 and you get five, you're supposed to get $500 in, 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 crack, in rocks back. And the most I ever went to was a half ounce. Never even got that off because <laughs> it was bad dope, basically. So the guy who sold it to me, you know, sold it to me with a bunch of like isotol powder. So nobody would buy it from me. And then I remember one day burying it and then somebody ended up stealing it. So somebody wow. stole like a half ounce of bad dope. And you know, that's when I realized like this shit ain't for me, right. you know? That's crazy. We all uh, come from certain circumstances, certain demographics, and we become a product of our envir environment. I like to say a product of the product. Mm -hmm. We see what we, we do what we see. How old were you when you were trying to push weight and, and what inspired that mindset? Well, what inspired that mindset was exactly what you said, the environment, you know what I'm saying? Because it's not like I come from any of those um, circumstances where that, that had to happen. Like, my mom was an English teacher, you know what I'm saying? I grew up Jehovah Witness. My grandmother was a Baptist. You know, my dad was definitely heavy in the street, you know what I mean? Salute the, salute the cowboy out there in Kiffield, South Carolina. But, you know, he was a, you know, do as I say, not do as I do, you know, kind of person. And, you know, he battled with everything from, you know, substance abuse to his own mental health issues, you know, and, and he used to hustle, you know? And so it's like, I, I didn't know that until I got a little bit older, right? And it's like, when I started doing what I was doing, you know, he used to be on me about not doing it. And I'm like, well, you can't tell me not to do it when, you know, you out here doing it. Right. So it's like, for me, I think I was about 17, 17, 18, when I was, when I was, when I was dabbling in, in, in that world. So the self-professed uh, lover of Judy Bloom books. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Uh, absolutely. Uh, growing up becomes um, the architect of what? Aggravation. Architect of aggravation, prince of pissing people off, ruler rubbing you the wrong right. way. Right. Yeah, yeah. How do you, how do you get, <laughs> how do you get there from Judy Bloom books? Obviously, I think you work with, you worked with Wendy Williams and you kind of yeah. started to understand the business. But I remember the stark contrast of who I thought you were from the clips I'd hear, whether it's Donkey of the Day mm -hmm. and all of these different things or your different run-ins with celebrities who felt some type of way about what you said. And then I met you at ESPN, and I remember telling people, I was like, he was like one of the most polite humans I've ever met. You know, how do you go and understand how to rile people up, how yeah. to get people to react to certain things you say, but then still be the dude and the person you are away from that? Well, I, I never, it's never my intention to rile people up, you know, and I think all of us, when you come from a certain environment, I was always the class clown. I was always the disruptor. That got, right. That's where a lot of the behavioral problems started. They started in school, you know, and it's just like, we would be in class cracking jokes, you know, clowning people, teasing people. You come to school with some whack-ass gear on, you're going to get charged up. You know, you come to school with some whack sneakers, you're going to get charged up. And the funny part is, 
it's not funny now. Well, I guess it still is funny. But it's like, yo, <laughs> it's funny's funny. We make black people, we make fun of each other's trauma when you're young. Like, yeah. why? I don't know. Like, if you if you right. if we know your dad's a crackhead, you probably gonna get clowned for being a right. crackhead's child. Or if you get right. evicted, you're gonna clown you for getting evicted. Why we do that, I don't know. So it's just like laugh through the pain. Laugh through the pain. So yeah. what people call, you know, disruption, I, I feel like I just took with me throughout my whole life, throughout my whole journey. So when I got on the radio, one thing that you know, I always say benefited me with radio is that I didn't know how to do radio. Like I didn't go to college, so I didn't work at a college radio station. I didn't have any, you know, expertise in the field prior. Nobody taught me how to do it. So when I got on the microphone in Charleston, South Carolina, which is 30 minutes from my hometown, I was just talking like we talked in Monk's Corner. I didn't know no better. Sometimes I would be coming in there drunk. Sometimes I'd be coming in there high, and I, I would just be answering the phone and talking to my people the way that we would, you know, talk if we was just you know, sitting around. And you know, that that is kind of like just what I kept doing. So, you know, when you ask that question for me, man, it's just like, that also shows the, to the totality of, of, of us as black people. Like, mm -hmm. we're not just one thing. Like, you right. know, black people aren't just, you know, into some street shit. Like, my, my, my mom used to always tell me, read things that don't pertain to you. That's why I started reading Judy Bloom. But also, I was reading, you know, the, the, the Awakes and the Watchtowers and the My Book of Bible Stories, you know? And my dad was giving me the autobiography of Malcolm X and I was watching Rap City, <laughs> you know? And I was watching Yo! MTV Rap. So I was all of those things, you know? So, and I'm still all of those things. What, what's the, what's the, the genesis of the name change? What do you mean? Charlemagne the God, oh, that's yeah. not your God given. Oh, no, no, you no. You know, no. your mom and daddy ain't named you that. Like, <laughs> nah, is, nah. is it, a, is it, um, like wrestlers, go to what sound good too. Yeah, though. Hulk Hogan's yeah, 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 name. Yeah, yeah. Like, so is, it, is is that a different person or um, why, why the name? That's definitely a character that you know. I feel like um, I created to protect Leonard in a lot of ways. You know what I'm saying? And you know, growing up, you know, when I when I two things when I used to hustle, I used to always say my name was Charles and Charlie because our, our town was small. So you know, these people that would roll up, they know my mom, they know my dad, and even though they was buying dope. They might tell on me too. Right. So I would have like the hoodie on, covered up, and be like, yo, my name is Charles or Charlie. Or when you pull up, ask for Charlie. So you always wanted to have like an alias. My alias was Charles, you know, or Charlie, right? So I was reading a history book and I saw that Charlemagne was French for Charles the Great. And I literally was like, oh, that sounds cool. I'm just gonna start calling myself Charlemagne. And, and at the time I was studying the 5% teachings, you know, of Islam. So, you know, the gods. So it really don't make no sense because it's really Charles the Great the God, but I just felt like it sounded good, you know, Charlemagne, yeah, the God. And I always felt like, you know, later on in life, it would look good on the marquee or something. And I think I, <laughs> I, think I was right about that. Yeah. Yeah. That's that thing. Which is crazy, because <laughs> you, you go from, from D-boy, uh, petty street hustler, serving your time and, and learning from those mistakes. And as we hear you now, I've always known you was a smart dude, like just listening from afar. But I, as you unravel these different levels, I'm totally surprised. What would be the most surprising thing for people that are watching this to, to know about you? I really don't know, because I've always, I mean, I'm, I'm always been transparent, you know what I'm saying? And like, when I started going to therapy over the last five, six years, I feel like, you know, I started being more vulnerable. So mm -hmm. at this point, I really don't know what people don't know, if they've actually been paying attention. Like if they listen to Breakfast Club, or they listen to my podcast, The Brilliant Idiots, or they have read my books, like I really don't know what could, surprise people at, right. at this point, right. you know? I didn't know it was that that deep. You know, he's talking about Judy Bloom. You're talking about history and, and all these other things. You mentioned your dad having his mental issues and dealing with yeah. different things. 
did that make it easier for you to go and tap into and try and start out help for yourself? Well, I didn't even know that he was dealing with those issues until 2018. You know, when I put out my second book, which is called Shook One, Anxiety Playing Tricks on Me, and I was talking about, you know, my, my, my mental health issues and, you know, what I was learning in therapy. And I, I actually did that in correlation with um, a doctor named Dr. Ish. And I remember it was Thanksgiving week because I was home in Monk's Corner. And my dad hit me up and um, a younger cousin of mine had com completed suicide. And this was his fourth time trying to complete suicide. And on the fourth time, you know, he, he did it. And this is, just, I'm talking about four times throughout his young life, not all in that one time. He's only like 24, 25. And I remember my dad calling me because, you know, uh, he used to, my little cousin used to work with my dad because my dad does like construction and stuff, little odd jobs. And my dad was like, man, you know, I was reading your book and, you know, your, your cousin just completed suicide. And I remember him saying to me, he was like, yo, man, you know, I tried to commit suicide 30 years ago. And you know, I've been on 10 to 12 different medications throughout, you know, my life. I was going to therapy two and three times a week and I didn't know any of that. Like, this, that was the first time he ever had said that to me you know, uh, November 2018. And I remember thinking when I was young, like, damn, I remember when dad used to, you know, be talking about the devil was coming to get him and he would sleep with the gun in the night by his bed because he felt like the devil was coming to get him in his sleep. And I do remember going to see him, you know, in rehab when I was young. They would tell me he was like at a hotel or something, you know what I mean? But it would actually be rehab. So he never told me about any mental health issues. And I remember asking my mom about it, like, yo, you know, dad was dealing with all of this. And she was like, I thought he was just playing crazy to get a check. Cause that's literally what they did. The state of South Carolina just started giving, a, giving them what we used to call a, a crazy check. By the way, I knew between my dad and another guy, I knew another guy who did the same thing. Yeah, he was getting the check. <laughs> he was getting the check every month. So it's like when they, I think back then they didn't really know how to, you know, deal with people in their mental health issues, especially black people. You know, that's right. They give us Ritalin and, you know, different medications. Like I even think about my grandma always talking about how she had to take her nerve pills when she was young. I'm like, what that, you know, what is nerve pills? Clearly that's some type of anxiety right. medication. I know that now, right. but I didn't know that back then. So to your question, Fred, I didn't even know that, you know, he was dealing with anything for him to be able to talk to me about because if he did, man, I would have known what to do with these panic attacks when I was a teenager. I've been getting panic attacks since I was a kid. I want to I wanna keep it right there because I have anxiety too. And uh, I attend therapy myself uh, weekly. Um, and I and I have to practice certain techniques. And of late, uh, one she recently shared with me was um, taking uh, eating sour candy mm. if I have a panic attack. And she gave me some bubbles, you know, like the little kid bubbles. I'm like, what the f is this? She's like, bubbles help you practice breathing. Yes, you know, and slowing things down. And once you learn how to blow the bubbles out, you know, it you'll develop a technique that'll remove you from that moment because essentially that's what anxiety is. Your brain telling you, you know, something's about to happen. You're Absolutely. anticipating that. I wanted to ask you what what in your in your therapies, what sort of techniques have you learned that might help anyone else that's afraid to go to therapy? Because that's what this is about right. for me. Because right. I know you're a big advocate on mental health. I want to help or I want us to be able to help everyone else that's out there that's afraid because we're afraid of labels in our community. Mm -hmm. You know, we call it nerve pills crazy, or whatever it might be, we're afraid to go and take that first step. What has helped you that can help everybody else? Exactly what you just said, breathing exercises, you know, meditation. I learned how to meditate uh, 
a couple of years ago. It was actually during COVID, you know, um, when, when, when things loosened up a little bit towards the end of the year. You know, I got a good friend named Debbie Brown. She works with, uh, you know, Deepak Chopra. And um, she does these, like, retreats, these spiritual retreats. So I learned how to, like, meditate when I was in, you know, Cabo. You know, you get your beads and, you know, you count your beads. And, you know, they gave me a mantra. So I chant my mantra. So that gets me, you know, back to center. You know, um, I love grounding, especially when it's warm out. You know, just take your shoes off. Mm -hmm. You know, go walk out. Go walk right. out in the dirt. You know, go walk out in the grass. You know what I mean? That gets, that gets me back to center really well. And, man, just... Honestly, just just prayer sometime. And I think about when I was young and didn't have those tools. Yeah. And those anxiety attacks would come on. I had a, a, a mantra that I used to say. I used to say, I love Jehovah God and his son Jesus Christ. I love Jehovah God and his son Jesus Christ. I love Jehovah God and his son Jesus Christ. Fuck Satan, fuck Satan, fuck Satan. And then I would take a deep breath. This is when I was a kid. I didn't know anything about having mental health issues or nothing. I just know that I'd be so scared and so terrified, you know, heart beating crazy, palms sweating that I just had to you know, get myself together. And that's what I would do to, you know, get myself together. And it's the same now, but mostly it's the breathing exercises, the meditation, you know, the grounding when it's warm. Like that's what usually, you know, gets me back to center and just experience, right? Like one thing my therapist told me was, um, think about all the times you thought of the worst possible scenario. How many times did that worst possible scenario actually happen? You know, yeah. the chances are very, very, very slim. So it's just like, yo, you're working yourself up for nothing. Right. You know, Fred's very honest on this show about the different things that he deals with uh, mentally, emotionally. And I'm very honest in saying that I, for a long time, was one of those people that were part of the problem. You know, I grew up in the South. I'm from New Orleans. And, you know, the same kind of like you talk about pray it away. My mom was everything's prayed away. Like, no matter what's going on, you pray and you, you, you lock in with God and you tap in with God. And that was the way I think black people, especially in the South, had to focus on Christianity or whatever their faith was because it was always about what was better on the other side because they felt like life was so grim here. And with you starting therapy and, and, and learning different things, what was it about your therapy that made you okay to be vulnerable to the world? Because you mm. do understand and see how our community has almost shunned therapy or that being depressed or being sad, those were things that black people couldn't afford. What made you say, even as Charlemagne the God, someone that people looks at as has success, has fame, has money, and shouldn't be dealing with these things, I'm willing to share this with my people, with my community, or with the world so they can see that it is okay? I think for me, it was more like a cry for help, mm. you know, more so than anything, you know, because when I started going to therapy, I just felt like it was disingenuous for me to get on the radio or on the podcast and right. talk about other people's issues and talk about other people and, you know, question people about things that they're going through or they're doing and, and not be honest about my own. Like, I've always, like I said, I've always been transparent. I just never was vulnerable. And I think, you know, I wouldn't even say therapy gave me the strength to be vulnerable. Therapy just made me okay with being vulnerable because that was on my mind. Like, that's literally what was on my mind. I couldn't get in, get in front of that microphone and talk about anything else. I had to let people know, like, man, I'm going to therapy every Friday at 3 o'clock. And it kind of became a joke at first to where even the listeners or people in social media was like, oh, I know where you at today. You going to therapy at 3 o'clock. But then it's like, oh, wait a minute. Oh, he's really he's going to going therapy, to therapy right. you know, every, every Friday at 3 o'clock. And then it made it easier, too, because when I started talking about having anxiety, and depression, that's, a, that's the interesting thing about the book, right? When I, when I wrote Shook One, I didn't even mean to write Shook One. I just had put out my first book, Black Privilege, April of 2017. You know, thank you, Ryan. You always got it up on ESPN. It's always in the background. But, like, Black Privilege was an instant New York Times bestseller. It was on the New York Times bestsellers list for, like, 15 weeks 
has sold a lot, a lot of copies. And when that happens, it's, it's a business, right? So the book agent and the publishers are like, yo, can you give us another book? And I'm like, another book? Like, I, you know, I, mean, I, just, I just gave you, <laughs> I just I just gave you my life. Like, we need right. another book. And plus, at the time, I was the most confused I had ever been because I had just started going to therapy. And you realize, yo, you really don't know shit. I'm, I'm, I forget what I was learning, all the things that I was, that I was unlearning mm-hmm. in therapy. So I really was, like, really confused and tender. And so I was keeping these notes, keeping a journal of all the things I was learning in therapy. And I told my book agent, you know, Jan Miller, Sleuth Jan, I told my book agent, like, well, this this really all I got. I've I just been keeping a journal because I've been going to therapy to deal with, you know, my anxiety and bouts of depression. And I was like, I could share that. And she was like, would you want to? I'm like, oh, you know, I don't see why not. And what I realized when I was, you know, writing the book was that that the stuff I was learning in therapy was for me. I couldn't explain, you know, to the world what I was actually learning in therapy. It was for me internally. So what I did was just share in that book, you know, the things I was sharing with my therapist. Mm-hmm. And I had Dr. Ish come through and give the clinical correlations for right. it. And so the book went out. The book sold well, but then I realized, oh shit, I got to go out here and promote this book. Right. I'm not ready to have these conversations in front of people. So it's like sink or swim, right? So when you want a Dr. Phil or you want a Dr. Oz or whatever the show is, I just got to tell people how I'm really feeling. I got to tell people, you know, what anxiety feels like, what these panic attacks feel like, because I'm actually experiencing them, you know, right now. And lo and behold, man, it feels like, you know, that real conversation just connected with people. And then people started coming up to me saying, man, I deal with anxiety and I deal with bouts of depression. And I've been secretly going to therapy. And it's just like, oh, shit, we got a village. I didn't know that all these people were dealing with that. And then my dad came and told me. And it's just like, oh, we really got a a village. So for me, it just felt like it just became something that was bigger than me. It wasn't my intention to become a mental health advocate. It wasn't my intention to say, I'm going to start telling these stories and it's going to impact, you know, people. I was just literally telling my story because that's what was, you know, genuine for me. Well, well what, what fuels that, man? Because we talked to Ryan Mundy about this, and he's, he's big. What's his... Uh... Alchemy. Alchemy Health. Alchemy Health. Like, he's big into the, the mental health space, too. And it's you, from the outside looking in, you look at Charlemagne the God, successful. Like you say, New York Times bestseller. Yeah. Got plenty of money. Beautiful, beautiful daughters. Like, you have the world. Mm-hmm. What, what are you so anxious about? You're living the life that most people would love to live. Yeah, that's, that's actually a great point. And that's what really sent me to therapy because, you know, I remember the, the, when 2010, man, I had like a major, major, major panic attack. But I had just gotten fired for the fourth time from radio. And I was back living at home with my mom in Monk's Corner. I'm like 30, 31. My daughter's like one or two. My now wife is back living with her parents and, you know, Monk's Corner, South Carolina. Now, mind you, this is after me being with Wendy, yeah. being on VH1 with Wendy, doing radio in Philly. Like, I've had success, right? Never really made crazy money. I, I think with Wendy, I was making like 75 grand a year. In Philly, I was making like 70 grand a year. So I hadn't made the crazy money, but I had the success. So it's like I went back home, started collecting unemployment checks, which I had never done. I fired four times from radio, never went to collect unemployment because of my pride, right? The, yeah. the ego. I'm like, I'm not, I can't be in an unemployment line. They, they might know me, right? right? And so it's like, I remember driving down I-26 in South Carolina, going to see Duval, because Duval was performing at South Carolina State University that night. And I had a, man, I thought I was going to die. Now, mind you, I've had panic attacks like that my whole life where I would go to the emergency room because the heart going, my heart beating fast. But that one really felt like the Fred Sanford, I'm coming to join you with right. Elizabeth <laughs> yeah. heart attack, right? Yeah. And so 
I, when I went to the doctor, and the doctor told me the same thing that they always tell me, oh, man, your heart is fine. You got an athlete's heart. And that was the first time a doctor said to me, yo, you, you suffer from anxiety? Does this sound like, you know, you had a panic attack? I'm like, anxiety? What is that? You know, and he's like, you know, uh, you sound like you had a panic attack. Has this happened to you before? I'm like, yeah, my whole life. And he was like, are you stressed out about anything? I'm like, hell yeah. You know what I'm saying? Right. I'm back home living with my mom, 31 years old. I got a child. My wife living with her parents. Like, I'm stressed all the way the fuck out. So in my mind, all I got to do is get back in position, get another gig, and everything will be fine. Right. Next gig I got was the breakfast club. So fast forward, four or five years later, having the most success I've ever had in my life, most money I've ever had in my life, and still having those panic attacks. You know what I'm saying? Still dealing with the bouts of depression on top of just really not living right, you know? Right. Out here drinking, smoking, living the radio star life, cheating on my wife 100 miles per hour, and I'm literally becoming everything that I, I, I always said I didn't want to be. Mm -hmm. I'm doing to, you know, my now wife what I saw my dad do to my mom, which I despised, you know what I'm saying? I remember confronting my dad about cheating when I was young and he looked me in the eye and said, oh, you only got one girlfriend, huh? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. <laughs> when you yeah. get older, you gonna understand. As I got older, I overstood, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? But I also realized I was constantly trying to prove something to him by being out here, you know, playing around in these streets. But I just, I just realized, man, as I got older, I'm like, yo, I'm really about to ruin my life. Right. Like real self-sabotage you know, for no reason other than I haven't gone to get any type of healing. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Because I got all this unhealed trauma and things that I hadn't processed, you know? And it's like, what's the point of having the success and the money if you're not happy? Right. So that's what I did when I started going to therapy. I started going to therapy because I was really seeking, you know, healing. I was really trying to figure out how to deal with that depression, you know, how to deal with that anxiety. And like, once again, going back to my homegirl, Debbie Brown, she told me, she was like, yo, therapy is great. You know, therapy gives you the language to be able to explain, you know, what it is that you're going through, you know, but now you really got to go on the journey of actually healing, you know, that trauma. So that's why I, that's what, that's why I've been at in the process of, of, of that journey, you know, over the last few years. How do you, how do you feel like that process is going? You know, and I've watched you on things other than the Breakfast Club and you like making jokes about getting fired a ton. Didn't like your sister fire you? Yeah, my sister fired me from Taco Bell. Yeah, when I was young. How you get fired from Taco Bell? Man, showing up two weeks, you know, showing up. I was, I think I only worked there for like two, three weeks, but you know, showing up late because my sister, the manager, thinking I can get away with that. Right. You know what I'm saying? And truly not really wanting to be there. Because right. you know, I used to have to wear the purple shirt with the fucking khakis and I remember I used to still go, I used to still go, you know, to, to, the, to the hood, you know? And I remember, man, my man, Tony, Tony Haywood, Tony was like, look at this motherfucker. <laughs> used to have a real job. Now you work at fucking Taco Bell. <laughs> I'm like, God damn. You know what I'm saying? Mind you, I'm in the Taco Bell uniform. Yeah. I'm just coming up. I, I still want to see my people. But Good. in my mind, that's always in the back of your mind when you're in there flipping them tacos. Like, man, why am I here? You know, they look, they laughing at me. You know what I mean? I need to be back out there with them. So that's what that stuff like that does lead you back to the street because it's not even peer pressure, right? Like people always like to say peer pressure, peer pressure. Nobody pressures you to do anything. Right. We all just want to be accepted, man. You yeah. know what I'm it's saying? It's an influence. All, it's an influence. Yeah. We all, and, and we all just want to be accepted. We want to be accepted by certain groups of people. At the time, that's who I want to be accepted by. So if they clowning me for working at Taco Bell, I don't take this Taco Bell shit serious, man. You know, right. go ahead and fire me. I'm going back to the block. You said they ain't take you serious, but what I've learned is that 
the, the process of perception provokes the panic. It creates mm -hmm. the anxiety. Mm -hmm. You understand? Because mm -hmm. you're trying to hold up to an image. Mm -hmm. As you said, once you did get back mm -hmm. on, you feel me? You started to live a certain life mm -hmm. in a certain image, and that creates the, the anxiety. But once you go to therapy and you learn to remove yourself from this, learn to take care of yourself and not worry about what other people think of you, that comes the anxiety. Because I would look around like, man, I got to do this for this, word, word. right? Because people see me for that. Word. But when I had learned how to remove that, it helps bring my anxiety down because I had social anxiety like a bitch. Mm -hmm. I have to take my Xanax before I go and do a speaking engagement. Mm -hmm. Sometimes before I travel, before I hang out, because I, I felt like people were going to come up to me, recognize me, and I'm like, here we go. And that creates, just thinking about it creates anxiety. So again, I had to learn how to unlearn that's those right. type of behaviors. So really, this is a teaching moment. But uh, pivoting and fast forwarding to the pandemic, mm -hmm. you know, you guys, DJ Envy, Angela Yee, you guys received uh, radio, uh, music, uh, ra Hall radio Hall of Fame. Hall of Fame. Yeah. Uh, did you ever envision that? I know from the block to now, that's got to be crazy. Uh, did I ever envision that? To a certain extent, not really. Um, I remember when I first started doing radio in 1998, you know, I did say to myself, I want to be a super jock. Like, I didn't want to be, you know, just a person, a local personality in a city, giving the time and temperature, introducing yeah. the next Drake song. I didn't want to be that. So I would look at the Wendy Williams, the Angie Martinez, the, the Big Tiggers, the Howard Stearns, you know, the Tom Joyner, Doug Banks. I would look at them and say, yo, if I'm going to do this, I want to do it on that level. And working with Wendy did show me what was possible because when she got inducted into the Radio Hall of Fame, I'm the person that did her induction speech. I brought her to the stage, you know? So when I saw that, it did kind of plant the seed, like, oh, man, it's possible, because I didn't know any black people in the Radio Hall of Fame, you know, prior to Wendy. Plus, I didn't even really know there was a Radio Hall of Fame, you know, prior to Wendy. But I never thought about it with The Breakfast Club, only because I just felt like, man, we, we've always been the perfect balance, I think, of ratchetness and righteousness. But I just felt like, you know, those, those white folks weren't recognizing us in that way. They weren't looking at us in that way. That's how, I, that's how my mentality was. So I remember when they first told us, hey, man, you know, y'all are being considered for the Radio Hall of Fame. I'm like, oh, that's cool. Not once did I think, oh, we're going to get it. And they're like, hey, man, um, I think y'all been nominated. Oh, all right. right. That's cool. You know what I mean? And they're like, oh, y'all got in. Y'all first ballot Hall of Fame. Like, right. oh, that's dope. shit. Like, you know what I mean? I didn't, I didn't think nothing. I still haven't really thought anything of it. I think it's because it happened during COVID. So the ceremony was online. And then the next year, you know, they did have a, a, a live a live ceremony for it. But I, I couldn't attend because I was taping my TV show. So I still haven't, you know, been to the Radio Hall of Fame in Chicago to, to see our name, you know, up there on the wall. Because there's actually a Radio Hall of Fame. Like, I've been there before, like when we introduced Wendy. So there's actually a, with our names on there. But I haven't seen it yet. So it still feels kind of like um, surreal, you know? Like, even when they introduced us like, as that, that, I'm like, Oh shit, that is that is true. We're in the Radio Hall of Fame, you know? You know, speaking of the Radio Hall of Fame, like that's an accomplishment that sometimes signifies an entire career. Yeah. Right? That that this is what I did, this is what I put my blood, sweat, and tears into. But you have so many branches of Charlemagne yeah. the God, right? There, there's TV shows, there's a, a podcast network. You're, you're bouncing around and doing all this, uh, but you do have a wife, you do have beautiful girls. What's the family man? Like, like, do, do you ever give the world a piece of him or are you totally different in the household than what you are when you present as far as the entertainment world? 
Man, that's a, that's a great question because it's just like, yo, what we're doing now is, is talking, like it's conversation. That's it is constant conversation in our house, you know. Especially I got a 14 year old now. She's in high school, ninth grade. Like she talks a mile a minute about all of the things that she's interested in, you know. And my daughter, my, my my second, is is seven, you know, and she's got things that she wants to do. And you know, my wife, she's 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 she went to the University of South Carolina. She got a you know a, a master's degree in business. So, you know, she's got things that she wants to do now because you know she's she's made so many different you know, sacrifices as, as, a, as a wife and as a mother, you know, for the family. So it's like, it's always constant conversation and we laugh. Like I'm in the kitchen last night singing that song, uh, what's that shit, uh, oh, you thought I was feeling you? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm really doing that just to fuck with my daughter. Cause I want to see if she's listening to it. So I, when I said it, I saw her eyes spark up. She ain't say nothing though. She played a coin. She was like, oh yeah, kids say that in my school. I'm like, oh word, kids in your school, huh? Right. Like, yeah, like, yeah, just, to, just the kids in your school, right. right? And so I kept saying it over and over and she was like, yo dad, you got to stop. You know, you got to stop. So it's like, it's, it's kind of the same. Cause it's like the things that we talk about now, especially on Breakfast Club, it's not like we aren't talking about at home. Like my daughter's in therapy, you know? Not for any other reason than I think therapy is great for anybody, whether you're dealing with something or not. Like I wish that somebody had put, put me in therapy when I was 13, 14 years old. Like that's why, I'm, that's why with my foundation, the Mental Wealth Alliance, I'm so big on getting mental health literacy and social, social and emotional learning in schools because this is something they should teach kids. It's like they got gym class. Right. They should have like a mental health literacy class. So it's not, it's really not much different. Like, you know, me and my wife are wild and appropriate around our oldest daughter. Like our, our, our running joke is that we're gonna come to your school and play knuck if you buck on a beach pill and just, <laughs> just wild out just to embarrass you. You know what I'm saying? Right. So it's just like, nah, these conversations, they, they, they definitely happen at home. You're not having the conversations Channing have at home. Depends. Which one? Cause I want my, I want my wife, my daughters to bring home a corny guy. I want my daughters to bring home a square. You know? They've been, been on me about this question. <laughs> I understood what you were saying, though, but it's like, yeah. I, I want my daughters to bring home a square. We so all like, do. Yeah. yeah. We have all said that. Yeah, yeah, we yeah, yeah, yeah. But you don't want to hang with him, no? <laughs> yeah, I'm going home. Hey, you know, it's, it's interesting, though, because like guys like that, man, they'd have kept me out of trouble back in the day. Yeah. And you know that, what I'm saying? But that's that mid-ground, but that's about, you're talking about um, the influence. Mm -hmm. yeah, the influence yeah, yeah. of me being from Atlanta and being like, dude, dude square. Like, hey, yeah, 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 yeah. ain't gonna mess with him. Yeah. But I want to ask you about it too, like Happy Dad. One of our sponsors, we all Happy Dads. Are, do you embarrass your daughters? Cause now you talking about in high school, like you talking about people that are really listening to your show, really. These kids you. know who he is too. And like yeah. you, you know what I'm saying? And you're like your daughter got to go and deal with everything you say. I think you know that's the that's the interesting thing about this world that we live in now. Cause you know I'm a big Marvel guy, right? So it's like um, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Like right now, the whole Marvel phase is the multiverse saga, and it's all of these different variations. Like it might be four Ryan somewhere, four. Right. Four Freds, another right. Fred in a different dimension, another Channing in a different dimension, right? So it's like, with the internet, the man I am now, I'm not embarrassed by. Ten years ago, though, right. you know what I'm saying? All of that stuff still lives online. I got, I, little mama just jumped on there and called me a bitch ass for something that happened 12 years ago. I'm like, oh, damn, little mama, I, I apologize. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm, I'm apologizing to you for that, and I hate that you still feel that way over that, right? So it's like, 
Yeah. You know, if people are pulling up stuff from, you know, back in the day, I got a lot of explaining to do, you know, when it comes to, um, you know, my, my kids. But that's why I like the journey that I'm on. And I kind of don't regret any of that stuff being out there because I think it, it lets people see the evolution in real time. Yeah. It lets people see the growth in real time. Like, I like when people say, yo, I, I don't think y'all understand, you know, the growth of, of, of Leonard or the growth of Charlemagne. Like, that's the biggest compliment anybody can give me. And, and, and I've, I've received that from people that I, like, admire, like, in a real way. They're like, yo, man, yo, I, I really commend your growth. And it's especially because the first book my dad ever gave me was the autobiography of Malcolm X. So when I read that book, I understood that, yo, you can transcend your circumstances. You, come, you can come from a certain environment and evolve into something else. In fact, that's what life is about. That's why I hate this era of cancel culture, because it's like, what is that? You know, when did we ever get to a point to, you know, we don't allow people to grow, or we don't allow people to evolve, or we don't allow people to make mistakes in real time? You wonder why the suicide rate is so high amongst a lot of these kids is because it's like, yo, you making them try to, you know, reach for a bar of perfection that's unattainable. There's right. no such thing. None of, none of us are perfect. We've all made mistakes. We've all done something, said something, you know, that we wish we could probably take back. But it's like this era is really on you when you, when you do something that, you know, um, you, know you, might, you might regret in the future. And so much so to the point that it's like you could be way past something. You could already have grown, evolved from something, and somebody be like, yeah, remember when seven, eight years ago or nine, ten years ago, I'm like, man, what are you talking about? You know what I mean? I don't even, I really don't even remember what you're talking about. So I'm, I'm at the point now, it's like, man, I find myself just being like, hey, man, I apologize, my, my brother. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I had somebody run down on me earlier this year about something that I didn't even say. But it, it was said on The Breakfast Club, but it didn't come from me. It actually came from Angela and Envy, but they see me, they see Breakfast Club. So I'm like, hey, man. I apologize. Right. If something came from the show that you know, you know, you didn't like, and you know, it offended you in some way, even though I didn't, I, I didn't say it, but hey, I still apologize anyway. Man, the look in that person's face was just like it just whatever was in him. It just he was like I wasn't expecting that, so it's like I don't have no problem doing that. I don't have no problem, you know, apologizing. But the best apology is changed behavior, and I think that I've, I've, I've definitely displayed that over the years. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code DEFENSE to get $200 in free bets if your team wins when you place a $5 bet on any football game. That's code DEFENSE only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official betting partner of the NFL. You mentioned change, uh, and obviously we've talked about the Breakfast Club. You, you know, you guys have just done such a good job of, I think, being trendsetters that said that we could do that that we could drive narratives, we could drive conversations, we can also educate and entertain. But that is changing too. Mm -hmm. And I know a lot of times with anxiety, with those different things, change brings that along. And you've mentioned the evolution of Charlemagne the God or the evolution of Lenard. How are you guys dealing with what will be changing with the show? I, I honestly think that's just the natural course of things, man. Like, you know, when you look at radio, the radio business or TV, the TV business, any collective that's been around as long as we've been around, there's going to be changes, you know, to the cast. Like, there, a couple of years ago, when my contract was up, people thought I was leaving. And I was, you know, exploring some other things just to see, you know, what else I may, I may have wanted to do. And so, Angela leaving, that's like the natural course of a show that has been on this long. Like, if you 
there's radio shows like like Elvis Duran. Salute to Elvis Duran. That's my guy. Elvis been around for a long, long, long time. But if you look at that show, the show started off as like the morning zoo. Right. And it was like Elvis and another guy. And that guy ended up leaving. Now he's having success. I can't remember his name, sadly, but he's he's having a lot of success, you know, um, in radio. And then he's had other cast members come through, like, you know, Carolina and, you know, um, Greg T. Like these these people who have, have they've they've gone on to do their like Greg T and Carolina do their own radio show on KTU now. Um, Sarah and Anthony used to be on Elvis Duran show. They went off and did their own morning show. So if you've been around long enough, you're gonna constantly see these changes. And I hope for the same thing for the Breakfast Club. I hope that you know, Angelie she's going to do her show way up with Angelie. It's a spinoff of the Breakfast Club. She comes on right after us in most of these markets. I think she got like 30 markets, but she's gonna be on 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. We get the opportunity to bring in, you know, some new, some new talent and, and see where that goes. Yo, Envy might want to go off and do something else one day. I might want to go off and do something else one day. But as long as that brand, the Breakfast Club, is still there and we can constantly bring in, you know, new players that could fill those spots, I, I just think that's the natural course of any show. I think that, you know, we're not used to seeing it in, in our community because we don't really see the black shows stay around that long. Right. Like, but Tom Joyner, Tom Joyner definitely had cast changes. Yeah. Doug Banks, God bless the dead, he definitely had cast changes. So it's just like, this is the first time our generation is, is seeing it, so it might be a shock to people, right. you know? But right. I just think it's the natural course of things. Since we're, since we're talking about change, I want to read one of your quotes. You said, I made some mistakes that I can't change, but I changed so I can't make the same mistakes. Absolutely. Speak to that. It's, it's real, you know, when I, when I talk about, you know, the best apology, you know, being changed behavior, right? It's like, I, I do want to be a better version of myself at all times, you know? Like, I do want to be a more healed version of myself because I want to raise trauma-free kids, mm -hmm. you know? I want to pass more on to my kids than just trauma, you know? When I have these conversations with my dad and my dad tells me about all the issues that he dealt with, the substance abuse issues and the mental health issues, that helped, give, that helped me give him a lot of grace mm -hmm. because I was holding a lot of animosity towards him, but I realized he was just doing the best he could with what he had at the time. And yeah. I think what our generation doesn't realize a lot is that we are, we, we are the first generation that has the luxury of healing. Right. Generation before us, man, they was on the you know, good time shit. They was scratching and surviving, you know what I mean? Right. Like my yeah. dad and my mom didn't have time to stop and breathe, right. you know? They had to raise these five kids, you know? So it's like, for me, we got the luxury of healing, so I want to take full advantage of that and constantly be a better version of myself. And I always think about that Muhammad Ali quote, man. Muhammad Ali said, yo, the person at 50 that's thinking the same way at 20 wasted 30 years of his life. Mm. And we all know people like that. We all can go back to our collective hometowns and see people that we went to school with doing the same shit that we was doing when we was way back out then. there with them way back when. That shit is heartbreaking. Right. And so for me, it's like, yo, I never, I constantly want to just be a better version of myself, constantly challenging myself. I think about me at 54, I'm 44 now. I think about me at 54. I think about me at 64 because I see people out there that are constantly bettering themselves at that age. You know, you, you look at Steve Harvey and, 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 right. and Marjorie when they step out, right. you know what I mean? Plus they got, 20-something-year-old kids that work with them and do the business with them, like, that's fly to me. Like, that's what I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about being 60-something years old, surrounded by all my young queens, you know what I mean? When they, my oldest in her 30s, the other three in their 20s, and I'm like, what's up? We got the family business, the family legacy going on. So it's just like, I just constantly want to be a better version 
of myself. So right. when I say change, that's what I'm doing the work to constantly evolve. Right, and you have uh, the, the redemption story, I think is amazing. I'm always rooting for the you know, redemption, the underdog. And you know, we talked about perception. The perception is you, you got it made. A lot of times if people don't know you, they don't know the journey. But even your kids, they don't always know the journey. And children are the easiest um, when it comes to being uh, entitled, that whole entitlement thing. How do you keep them humble? You know, because <laughs> it's tough. It ain't easy. I don't know. You about to ask me a question I don't have an answer to. I'm trying right. to figure that out, you know, because it's like it, it, it goes both ways, right? When you come from a certain environment, sometimes you get mad at your kids when they don't appreciate the lives they live now. You know what I mean? It's like, yo, y'all sitting around, like, yo, literally, one of my favorite places in the world to go is Anguilla, right? That's my favorite, that's probably like my favorite place to go vacation. Anguilla is not cheap, but my oldest daughter done been to Anguilla a million times, so, Anguilla again. (laughs) (laughs) Yo, you know I didn't get on a plane till I was 21? Right, right. I didn't get a passport till I was in my 20s? Like, what do you, what do you, what do you mean, Anguilla again? And you know, but she's a young woman who's been to Africa. She's been to Europe. She's been to the Caribbean a bunch of times. Like, so that's her life. So can I, am I, am I supposed to be upset for her life? That's what she knows. That's who she is. My little seven-year-old and four-year-old be talking about, oh, I love Cabo. I love, you know, they, 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 that's their life. I can't be mad at their existence. You know what I mean? I created that existence for them. So the only thing I try to instill in them is that it's not easy. You know, this is a, this is a, 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 how, and it, I don't want to say exception, not the rule either. Cause you want, our, we want our kids to think that this is normal. This, this, is, this, this is very possible. This is very, not, not just possible, it's the norm. Right. Like I feel like other communities- you deserve this. Yeah, white communities don't approach it like, there's like, this is the norm. Like this is, this, this privilege that you have, everything else, it's the norm, right? But you also got to prepare them for the world. Because regardless of what our status is, is people, they still got to deal with being black and being women in this society, you know? So that's like, you know, <laughs> I tell folks all the time, you know, my, my, my future is female. I don't have a choice. So it's like, you know, a lot of the changes that I talk about us making as men, we have to make those changes because we're really making the world a better place for the women in our lives, you know? So, yeah, to answer your question, Fred, I don't know. I really, I really don't know. I'm trying to find that balance. I don't know. I always say, I'm gonna give my daughter one daughter. I'm gonna show my daughter so much that can't no other dude impress her out here with no material That's right. stuff. That's right. You can't, yeah, like you saying, right. let's go to Turks and Caicos. I've been there four times. Yeah. Like that was my point there. Yeah. But bro, I gotta ask you, man, cause I got my feelings. You, I, you had me as donkey of the day. I did? Yeah. It Tell was a when. couple years ago. I don't, it was something that happened and people kept talking me like, Charlemagne got you as donkey. See what I mean? That's what I mean. Like, I don't even remember that. Like, yeah, yeah. Well, you work every well, day, gonna, though. Well, I'm going to remind you. OK. Like, has anybody ever really walked up? You talking about dude said that he hurt his feelings. But yeah. has anybody ever rolled up on you like, yes. bro, what you want to do? Because Fred was joking yes. about can you squabble. But like, yes. I, I was in my feelings. I ain't going to lie. If I saw you the day after you had me a donkey the other day, <laughs> this conversation wouldn't be as cool as it is right now. I'm not going to lie. I'm not lying, bro. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad uh, I didn't see you the day after. But <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it's all, one of them's on camera. Some dudes tried to jump me in front of the radio station. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? It was like five or six dudes. I got skedaddled out of there. Um, another time, I walked across the street at the pharmacy. Got into it with a dude. I, I'm walking out the pharmacy. Dude just swung on me. In my mind, I'm like, ah, oh, they got me. I, 
I, I got away from the other one. I, I, I did the 40-yard dash on the other one, but they got me this time, but it wasn't. It was just him. So that was cool. That was a fair one. I, I, I could handle that. And that, that was on video, too, but I, that, we, you know, that's, not, that's not something I'm trying to you know, glorify. It was on video because of the surveillance camera in the um, store. Like, Buster Rhymes. Buster Rhymes ran down on me at a party in L.A., you know, and for the same thing. I gave him Donkey of the Day because he had put out this freestyle I just thought was whack. Right? right? And when he approached me, I knew what that was about, right? I, mean, I never forget this. It's me, it's my man, uh, Boo, Akon's brother. My guy, Wax, was there. Um, Angela Yee. And I remember uh, Boo was like, yo, man, Buster won't holler at you. I'm, I'm, mind you, I'm pissy drunk. It was actually my birthday, pissy drunk. This is like 12 years ago, 10, maybe 10 years ago. And so go up to Buster, Buster's like, yo, man, you know who I am? I'm like, oh, Lord, you know who I am? Like, yeah, I know who you are. You a rapper that used to be dope, but your shit is whack now. <laughs> Wait, you right? said that? Yes, right? <laughs> Buster was like, you better stop this tough guy shit. Better stop this tough guy shit. I'm like, yo, you better stop this tough guy shit. Mind you, I don't know if I can take Buster. You know what I'm saying? I'm just, I'm just <laughs> is drunk. It, is this big yeah, Buster? all ego. This yeah, this like Buster. Yeah, this, this whole Buster. all ego, right? <laughs> and so, you know, they, they pulled us apart and whatever. Um, and salute to Buster. It's all love now. I got nothing but respect for Bust, man. And I, and I ain't gonna lie, I was, I was mad disrespectful back then. And I shouldn't have been disrespectful to, like, a lot of our legends, you know, who paved the way. Like, you know what I mean? Like, regardless of how I felt about a freestyle in the moment, this is Buster fucking Rhymes, one of the yeah. greatest hip-hop performers of all time, has put out mad classic albums. If I didn't like one freestyle, did I really have to jump out there and express that? I was I just looking for content for that day. You know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah. Or, like, somebody, like, Mace. Saw Mace at a Revolt Summit, you know, might have been like 10, 11 years ago. I used to be critique Mace very hard from going, going from pastor to rapper and all that. And I'm, I'm just walking. I'm walking by, I saw Mace walk by. I ain't even paid no attention. I saw him and I was like, oh, that's just Mace. I go in the restaurant, turn around, Mace on my head. You know what I mean? And you know, my guy did what he did. It wasn't nothing crazy. Just like, yo, you know, you're not gonna run up on me like that. But it's just like, yeah, that, yes, that yeah. shit happens. That's why I tell all of these people out here now that got all of these platforms, you know, like, yo, don't think shit can't get real. You know what I mean? And it's like, and, and, and a, lot of, a lot of it, and maybe it's just me being the old head now, it's like, I look at a lot of these dudes now and a lot of these women, and they be on YouTube and on social media. They weren't saying things to people. People come in the studio, I was saying things to them. They're saying things about people. If you say it to somebody, I respect it a, a, a whole lot more. And if you... Come outside. <laughs> if you come outside and you're in the same spaces as these people, yeah. you know, I respect it more. But if you are just saying it about people and you're not around where you can actually run into these folks, eh, it's kind of hard to, right. you know, respect. respect it. Yeah. 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 But to, to sum it up, I've gotten knocked upside my head. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Ime Udoka. Donkey of the day? Oh, man. Um, no, I like what Shaq said, you know? I feel like a hypocrite doing that because I, I too was a serial cheater, you know. And I think that it's more of a, it's more of a teachable moment, because um, there's a there's there's a story there. I don't know if this story is public yet, but there's a story there. And to me, man, it just makes me wonder, like, why do we as men always find ourselves in positions to where we self sabotage at the at the the best points of our life, like you know. Why do our penises come before our paychecks? Yeah, we had Marcus you know? Spears on, and yeah. we asked that exact question. Yeah, and it's like it's like what is lacking in us, you know, that causes us to have those type of insecurities to where we try to feed our egos with, 
you know, fucking as many women as possible. You know what I mean? Like, can I not, do I have to sleep with this man's wife? Do I have to cheat on my fiance? Not judging, I'm not judging the brother at all. I'm just saying right. that there's a teachable moment there because I was that dude. I was that dude who, you know, was feeding his ego. And like, when you pouring, feeding your ego is like, it's a cup with no, 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 no bottom to it. So you can sleep with as many women as you want. That ain't gonna fix what needs healing inside of here. So when I see situations like that, man, I just be wondering like, yo, why do we constantly put ourselves in positions to, you know, self-sabotage, you know? And I mean, in, in that situation in particular, it's like, yo, you a black man coaching one of the most historic franchises in, right. the, in the NBA and one of the most racist cities in America. You already know they don't want you there, probably. No matter how much you win, they they didn't want Bill Russell. They still treated Bill Russell like a nigga. So how they gonna right. treat you? They broke in this house and shit. That's in his what bed. I'm saying. Right. So it's like you already know that. So why put yourself in, you know, that position? And I think that's the bigger conversation to be had. What Shaq? I, I felt like what Shaq was saying was true. And then Shaq brought it back to himself, saying like, "Yo, I almost lost my family. You know, I did lose my family yeah, because right. of this." It's like those are the conversations we need to be having. Like I saw my my pops. My pops tell me all the time. One of the things that he regrets the most is how he ended up, you know, treating my mom. And, you know, he wishes he could do a do-over with that. And it was the same thing with me when I was out there running the streets. Like, I didn't want to ruin my family. And I have never, man, I've, I have yet to see a man, like, ruin his family because of infidelity and be the same yeah. person after that. Either they become a better human, but there's always that regret. There's always that hole. And I wish that that's the conversation us as men should have. Like, instead of being the adult, that my dad wasn't me telling me like, oh, you only got one girlfriend? One day you gonna understand. I'd rather be the dude that said, hey man, when I started like devoting myself to my wife, like literally committing myself to my wife, I'm not cheating, I'm not doing nothing else, and I'm going to therapy, and I'm doing the work on myself. Bro, look at my life the last six, seven years. I, I came up in every way, like every way, physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, everything. So it's yeah. just like, why not tell those stories? you know, the young men. So I think that's what we, we should use situations like this to be teachable moments to right. tell those stories, you know, the young men. Because this, this dude gonna lose like what, 60 million? It's gonna be crazy. 70 million? Yeah, it's gonna I be crazy. It, but is that the answer too? Because I have I have two sons. Mm -hmm. Is that the answer? What do you mean? Because to this problem. So this, it goes back to the Bible, Samson. Like, Whew. you know what I'm saying? It goes, Whew. it's biblical Whew. about Whew. sex Whew. affecting the men. So as my son, I have a nine, 11 and a two-year-old, how, how do I raise them that this, we can break this cycle that goes back to the biblical time? I think, I think, you know, doing things like putting them in therapy early, you know, teaching them things about, you know, the ego early, teaching them how to really be secure as men. Like, yo, the way, the way we got raised, man, what is, they talk to us about manhood, right? It's like, man, the, the idea we had as man, of manhood growing up, that shit was just some bullshit. You know what I'm saying? It was about sleep with as many women as possible. How many people can you beat up? When we talk about keeping it real, that's like, how criminal can you be? You know what I mean? That's literally what it was. And to the point where if somebody was going to college, like, oh, you, yo, you, yo, you think you're better than us? Because you read. You know what I mean? Like, that's because you read. <laughs> so simple, too. So simple. So it's literally just about, yo, we got to change the narrative in our culture. We got to change what we think, what we, what we historically thought was cool. You know what I mean? I think that's that's the key. Like this, this false perception of what we thought manhood was when we was younger. Like, nah, getting rid of that. Being a man is 
you know, taking care of yourself spiritually, mentally, emotionally, physically, because when you do all of that, naturally you're going to take care of everybody around you. So to me, it's just like, yo, protect and provide. Protect your heart, protect your spirit, protect your soul, you know, provide yourself with, you know, the means to constantly grow and evolve, and you'll just naturally show up as a better human right. on this planet, you know, for your people. And you won't even, you won't even want that. Don't get me wrong. Yo, you, think, you think it's hard to, like, is, is it not hard to, like, look at other women and be like, oh, shoot. But literally, that's all it is. It's a, it's a thought sometimes. You just admire a beautiful woman and be like, oh, that's dope. I don't got to pursue that. Right. And plus, why you want to fuck her life up? You, like, you, not only are you messing your life up because you got a whole situation, why you want to mess the next woman's life up? Like, I got a whole family and kids at home. I'm never going to be with you. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then you, you go out here and you mess around with these young ladies. They think they can take you away from home. Next thing you know, you mad because she want to tell your wife what's going on. And nowadays, she want to get on social media and tell the world what's going on. It's like, I don't even, it, I, I don't even understand why people be taking that risk anymore. You know, like back in the day when you used to do dirt, they tell you don't even talk on the phone about it. Yeah. These niggas is DMing women. And they married. Are you out of your fucking mind? You know she can screenshot this and tell the whole world. Like, why are you, why are you doing this? I can't put myself in those positions, man. You know what I mean? And talking about anxiety. Oh, Lord, have mercy. <laughs> ain't nothing like waking up to a woman that you ain't supposed to be with and your wife is FaceTiming you in the morning. You know what I'm saying? And you supposed to be out doing work. You know what I mean? I'll be headed to the airport or something like, oh, my God. Oh, <laughs> Lord, have mercy. And think about the chance. Yo, I'm, you know what? Let me shut up. <laughs> no, because I'm just thinking about some of the risks you know, take, man. I done been laying in the bed. Wife FaceTime me. Woman I'm with is like, I'll hide under the covers. And my dumb ass, I was like, trusted her to hide under the covers. <laughs> and she did hide under the covers. But what made me think that that was okay? What type of fan factor challenge am I doing? I would do that. Why? Why, bro? Like, God damn, yo. I think you've covered, we've talked perception, we've talked narratives. I think you've covered, we talked about many pivots. And I know we got to rap, RC wraps us up. But um, somewhere in there, you probably discuss your biggest pivot. And if not, what has been your biggest pivot in life? Oh, my biggest pivot, absolutely, 100%, was going on, a, um, going on this journey of healing. You know what I'm saying? And, like, you know, healing is not a, a destination at all. It is a, a, it is a constant journey. My biggest pivot was absolutely positively 2015, 2016. And it started with writing my first book. You know, when I, when I was writing my first book, I had to explore a lot of things that I hadn't really explored. Like... I had to go back and like really dig some, do some deep digging on things that I really had never even touched on. Like I didn't even realize that my, like you, I didn't even think that my parents were humans before they were my parents. Right. You know what yeah. I'm saying? So it's like when I'm writing and I'm getting asked questions, you know, by my, by my, my co-author Chris Morrow and he's asking me things like, well, what was your mom like your dad? Like I'm like, shit, I don't even know. Right. You know what I'm saying? So it's just like that made me start digging a lot deeper into myself and that was kind of like, that book was therapeutic for me and kind of got me on the path to actually going to actual therapy. So it's like for me, man, just going on that journey of like actual self-exploration, like on that journey of like finding actual healing or trying to heal some of these things or trying to process, well, why did I think that way? Or, you know, what did cause me to do that? Or why was I out here running the streets the way I was, you know, when I got a great woman at home? Like, I, I had to explore all of those things. So for me, that was absolutely, positively the biggest pivot, just 
taking that step to go to therapy, you know, in, in, in 2016, you know? Well, I think this has been, shoot, an education on, on so much, man. And I think for us, that was a huge reason to get you here because it is about evolution. It's about growth. And you made so many good points. And I used to talk about it to Coach Tomlin all the time with our kids. How do we get our kids to understand the things we learned just through living when they'll never live those lives? Ooh. Right? And wow. so it was always trying to put them in those particular situations mentally and emotionally, emotionally that we had been through that they never will go through. And I didn't want them to go through. The reason I worked a certain way and different things was all about that. And you mentioned about breaking generational curses that go back to the Bible. Me and Jordan, uh, your nephew, obviously, yeah. we had a conversation once and I was like, he got his first girlfriend. And I talked about the different issues I've dealt with with fidelity and understanding it. And I had the same conversation with my father when I had my first baby. And he was just like, you take care of your kids. He's like, no, nah, I can't tell you what to do with the woman that had them, mm. but you take care of them. Mm. And that's, so that's always been a big thing of me was taking care of my kids. I told Jordan, I said, if I see a girl, if she comes to the house, right, no other girl can come to the house. I said, but if a new girl comes to the house, the old one can never come back. And so I was just trying, because I would bring whatever high school girl they wanted to come over, and I got comfortable in there. I got comfortable in having people in my space and not focusing on one. And so you do your best to try to teach your kids the things you feel like you didn't learn right. that you now struggle with. And you talking about healing and people understanding the trauma before it ever really affects them, I think was huge, man. So thank you for coming nah, again. Thank you for having me. Again, this is October. It's the Pivot to Pink. And you've done this a lot of times. So if it's something that you want to get off, man, before you stand up, space is yours. Oh, well, just, just on the business perspective, you know, uh, my late night talk show, Hell of a Week, comes on every Thursday night um, on Comedy Central right after The Daily Show. We'd love to have y'all on, you know, because we do a panel, so it'd be dope to have the, love to be the, pivot, the pivot as a panel. Um, SBH Productions, that's a company me and Kevin Hart have at Audible. Uh, we got a couple of projects out right now. One is called Finding Tamika that was created by Color Farm Media and Erica Alexander. Amazing project, tells the story of a young lady uh, named Tamika from Spartanburg, South Carolina. Tamika Houston from Spartanburg, South Carolina, who went missing in the early 2000s. And, her story sparked, you know, so many different things, organizations like the Black and Missing Foundation. And uh, we got another project out called uh, Summer of 85, which tells the story of the bombing of the MOVE organization in Philadelphia in 1985 and the correlation of that with the Live Aid concert that's done by my man Chris Moreau. So both of those are out on SPH Productions. Um, I have a book imprint called Black Privilege Publishing through Simon & Schuster. We got two projects out right now, Tamika Mallory, State of Emergency, and uh, Anita Kopak's Shallow Waters. Um, what am I missing? That's oh, a lot. Yeah, that's a lot. The Black, the Black Effect Podcast Network. You know, we got a lot of different podcasts on the Black Effect Podcast Network. So yeah, I'm just out here working, man. I'm just yeah. out here working. I think, I think seeing your grind, man, especially now that we are in this space, it inspires us all. So we just appreciate you sitting down, chopping up, and most of all, being open honest and vulnerable because we need to continue to show our communities that, that that's okay. No, man, I love what y'all, first of all, The Pivot's one of my favorite podcasts. You know, I watch mad episodes, but I love the space that y'all have created, especially for men, black men, to come and just be vulnerable, man. You know what I mean? Just to come and have real conversation because this is part of changing our narratives. You know what I mean? Like, this is part of making the world look at us differently. Like, oh, they... They not just about sports. Like they, he just not about just talking shit on the radio. Like they, you know, they 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 care. Like yeah. we, we're all just trying to be the best versions of ourselves, being the best possible men that we can be. We care about our families. We care about our ladies. We care about our communities. And I think this 
platform does a great job of showcasing that, man. So thank you. Appreciate, man, appreciate you, brother. You, brother. Oh, thank you, my dog. My brother. Yes, sir. Uh, Yes, sir. Shannon ain't asked you to go on vacation, bro. He always do. You know, he might be too intellectual. I'm like, I ain't gonna come. Hold up. Limitless. Take a stomach cap, pinning it. I father here to witness it. Got my people feeling militant. Way I'm feeling, got me up. On the mission, got me up. Knowing me, I got the key. On the vision, I can trust. Trust. Limitless. Take a stomach cap, pinning it. I father here to witness it. Got my people feeling militant. Way I'm feeling, got me up.